0: Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Today on the show, I'm talking to Dr. Bonnie Henry, British Columbia's provincial health officer. We get into why BC is keeping vaccine passports, the future of the pandemic, and the difficulties of being the face of public health decisions. This is The Decibel. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: At this point in the pandemic, uh, almost two years in now, we've gone through a few different waves. Uh, B.C. this week, though, just lifted uh, a good number of COVID-19 restrictions, uh, including capacity limits at gyms and restaurants. Um, dancing is even back at, at nightclubs. <laughs> but uh, people will, of course, still need to show their proof of vaccination in many places. Why did you decide to keep the vaccine passport in place?
1: Well, that was a, a measure that we took uh, quite early on. And it was a way of building people's confidence and mitigating risks. So there's a couple of reasons for the BC vaccine card. What we needed to do um, in the summer of 2021, when we started to to see uh, increased transmission again, particularly around Delta, and very importantly, we were at a point where everybody had access to vaccine. We very specifically chose those indoor environments that were higher risk for transmission. So restaurants and nightclubs and events where people were coming together indoors, recognizing that that was where it could transmit more readily. And having people who were only vaccinated in those settings reduced the risk. It didn't make it zero, but it reduced it quite a lot.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, And the second part was to incentivize people to get vaccinated and it made a difference in a certain population. It was always intended to be uh, a temporary measure until we reached a certain point in the population and we had, I put the expiry date on January 31st and uh, we were off, on track to get there when we were getting through the Delta wave, mm. but then Omicron hit. And of course, things changed a lot with Omicron, but it is still an important measure. Yeah,
0: the, the incentivization of, of the, the card or, or the passport, as it's sometimes referred to, is you know some, an argument that a lot of provinces made to, to get people vaccinated. But the difference with BC's approach now is, is, is a little bit different to a lot of other provinces because other That's provinces right. are canceling or have announced a date to cancel the vaccination vaccine passport or, or card. So Ontario, Quebec, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta have all kind of made an announcement with, with this in mind. Mm-hmm. What's the difference here then? How are other provinces coming to a different decision on this point than than the, the decision you're making for BC right now?
1: Yeah, so our decision is based on the, uh, public health advice, and it's based on where those, uh, those uh, limited, so if you think of Quebec, for example, they were using the, their vaccine card in a whole bunch of different places that were not. The other thing that's really different that we've done here in D.C. is we have a, a COVID safety plans that are very specific to every sector and every industry. So those go hand in hand with having only vaccinated people, with mask wearing, with having safety plans that mean that people don't crowd in in certain places. So in a a sports arena, when you're entering and leaving, for example, there's uh, plans for managing lineups at uh, the concession stands or at bathrooms, Mm. because those are the areas where we were seeing that, that transmission could happen. So it is all part of our strategy that has worked really well for us and has meant we have not had to close down most businesses. We've kept things open through the whole time. We've kept children in schools. Uh, schools went back in June of 2020, and they have remained in-class learning throughout the whole time. You know, these are important strategies that we used, and and the the B.C. vaccine card still has a place in that. Hmm. I do see it as not being permanent. And as transmission comes down in our community, especially right now, we have very high levels of of community immunity because so many people have been vaccinated. So over the next few months, we'll be looking to removing mask mandates, um, no longer needing to use the BC vaccine card right now because rates of transmission are low. So that risk, even in those highest risk settings, goes down. I think we're in a place uh, where we have enough community immunity and we have enough Um, common experience of how to deal with this virus. We have treatment options in place. We're going to have another vaccine option, hopefully uh, within the next few days as well, that I think is really important. Which vaccine is that? Uh, Novavax. So one of the protein subunit vaccines is uh, under review by Health Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other one's Medicago, also a protein subunit vaccine, a more traditional vaccine that I think will be a really important option for a lot of people who uh, have really made up their mind about mRNA vaccines, these ones uh, enable them to get that protection without having to to get an mRNA vaccine hmm.
0: I want to ask a couple of questions about um, your role in, in this in this point in time, Dr. Henry. Before the pandemic, most Canadians honestly probably didn't know the name of their public health officers uh, and and since then you know you 've become a household name uh, in BC but in, in Canada as well, and your job has become much more public. Has the pandemic changed the way that you you think about your job
1: or, or the way that even you do your job? You know, it's always been, an ind- here in BC anyway, an independent role providing advice to government and very uh, importantly, a legislated independent role. Building trust with government has been a really important part of my role. And what I've seen is that um, that level of trust that we've built with many different ministries, so uh, has has also meant means that I can move ahead some of the other important issues. And one of the biggest ones that we're dealing with, of course, out here is uh, uh, the toxic drug crises. Mm. I see it as a really important transition to support public health because it's very easy. And we saw this after SARS. We saw this after the pandemic in 2009. We see it after every major crisis that... Um, the prevention role and the safety net that is public health gets whittled away. It's easy to to stop these uh, programs when you have the, the tyranny of the urgent, as my predecessor used to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the recognition of the role that public health has played, um, and I've been you know, in some ways the, the voice in the face of that, but there are a, a whole team of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Henry, this role—it's a very public-facing role, and uh, as as we've seen, especially in recent weeks, with everything that's going on with the protests in Ottawa and the border blockades, tensions are really high in Canada right now and, and all over the world. Can I just ask about the the response to to how people look at you and and your role and and what you hear?
1: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been particularly challenging, as you say, in this last few weeks because there's been uh, I've had. Unfortunately, some, some uh, death threats that started very early on, uh, in January of 2020, when we had our first press briefings about this. Um, but it's been sort of goes in, in waves and uh, it, it got really bad during the federal election. There seemed to be, for some reason, uh, um, people felt emboldened to be able to, to say things specifically And um, I have an RCMP um, protection detail that's with me all the time. And the last few weeks has been particularly difficult. But specific things like, um, I have a gun, I'm going to shoot you in the head. I'm paraphrasing, but um, it's very disturbing and it's very frightening in some ways. And it makes it a, a challenge when you're subjected to this ongoing vitriol. And people hide behind the anonymity of... Of social media, of, of being able to send things electronically, and you don't actually have to face somebody. Um, this underlying uh, minority of people who can be really disruptive and angry, and uh, and threatening.
0: Can I ask how how do, how do you deal with that?
1: Um, you know. It, it, Sometimes it's really challenging. Um, I don't sleep very well. I worry. Um, I have a very close family and friends that I talk to who help me. I've actually had to leave my house uh, sometimes for a period of time so that uh, for my own, for
0: your own protection, for
1: my own safety. You know, that's one of the things that I hope will stop at some point in all of this. Um, Physically, it's, it takes a toll on you. Physically, mentally, emotionally. It absolutely does. And I do meditate. I, I write a little bit, um, some of the things that I'm feeling. And, and I have strong support from, from a few key people. And that makes a big difference. And, you know, my one advantage, one, one of the advantages of my RCMP team is means I can go running now. (laughs) Keeps them, keeps them fit too. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess you wouldn't be able to without that kind of protection. That's
1: no, and it was um, realizing, and some of my team had, had realized that uh, people were following me when I was running by myself. And
0: That's scary. That's very scary.
1: At one of the protests very recently, they had uh, signs that had my address, my home address, and were encouraging people to come to my house. So though it is scary, and it, it's really, I mean... It, Inappropriate, I think. I mean, to to be targeted uh, for doing your job the best that you can. Yeah,
0: I'm sorry to hear that. That's that is that's a lot to take, and it's a lot to have to deal with on top of just just doing your job, which is already high pressure. (laughs) Thank you. To look at BC's response, uh, as, as you mentioned, relatively speaking compared to other parts of the country, BC has remained relatively open throughout the pandemic, right. where a lot of other provinces have had to, to close down periodically, especially since people are used to this kind of freedom, I guess. There's, there's this question about the public's appetite for, for mandates and for lockdowns. How much does the idea of, of the public's appetite or lack thereof for, like, more severe restrictions after they've had some freedom. How much does that kind of play into the way that you make these decisions now?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, I think we're all tired of it, aren't we? Um, mm-hmm. uh, so very early on, uh, we, we tried to tailor things. And as I mentioned, that we have our COVID safety plans. From the very beginning, I've always said, go outside. You know, we've never had this... Uh, you're, you have to stay at home. You can't go out except for essential things. We've never shut down businesses, you know, except for whatever essential businesses are, because we recognize that so much of it is, is related. To, there's so much connectedness, and um, that people are differentially affected. And we've seen the inequities that have been exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you work in a, a, a poultry processing plant, you know, you don't have sick leave. And you have this in, this um, need to go into work, or else you don't get paid. And so we um, addressed many of those things directly with the industries where we were seeing issues. You know, we had uh, COVID safety plans in in uh, in the the food processing plants that reduced illness dramatically. And then we prioritized those workers for vaccination. We have very high vaccination rates. So that that type of support for different, um, especially worker groups, meant that we didn't have to shut down businesses. We've never had a lockdown here in the same sense that we've had in other places. I think because so many people have stepped up and been vaccinated, we try and temper that because that is an important factor that helps us understand risk in different settings.
0: Mm-hmm. There has been a little bit of, of criticism though of the way that BC has handled it in the sense that sometimes people do want um, maybe stricter rules to know what they can or cannot do. Is it safe to go here? Is it safe to go there? Do you ever regret not putting stricter restrictions in place?
1: Uh, not at all. <laughs> I think some of the things that, uh, you know, my, our bent is always, uh, we've talked about this many times, or it's to, it's what we call least restrictive means. To accomplish the aim. So what I try and do is put in place the things that need to be there um, to prevent transmission. But yes, there are some some things that we've put in place um, that I was equivocal about at first, things like mask mandates for young children in schools. Mm -hmm. We thought uh, last summer, in the summer of 2021, that we were in a really good place with immunization and that we could move back uh, a lot of the restrictions that we had in place and, and put in place guidelines rather than public health orders. And... Um, you know, that worked for a little while. And then we started to see cases going up again, particularly in the interior, and we had to go back to orders. And uh, the mask mandate was one of them. And it it really was recognition that a lot more people were comfortable with it. And it made it easier. Businesses told me that it made it a lot easier for them, if it was clear that it was a mandate, and they could blame it on me, and, and not, and it, it supported their staff. So, you know, i I I'm fine with that as much as, you know, technically I would like it to be guidance that people follow um, the recognition that it was making it challenging for, for businesses and especially like grocery stores and places. Um, And if it supported them, then uh, we did that. So it was a lot of understanding where we needed to do that and, and, you know, responding to the situations we were seeing on the ground.
0: Looking forward now, I guess, to this, this upcoming year, I wonder what you think of what the end of the pandemic looks like. Is is that is that even a thing? Can we talk about the end of the pandemic?
1: I, I think we can. I think the pandemic will end, um, but uh, the this virus is going to be with us as a serious respiratory illness for some time. And I said we at least need to. And I kind of see it as oscillations, <laughs> and it's going to have uh, peaks and troughs uh, in over the next number of years. And um, so I definitely think we're going to be living with this virus and we need to be able to adapt.
0: What does, can I just ask, what does that look like? What does adapting to this virus mean?
1: Uh, so living with this virus, adapting to it, means that we have a better understanding of when it's going to affect people more. So we know that for influenza and we can prepare ourselves for that. We get vaccinated every year for influenza. Um, so we, we don't yet know all of those parameters for COVID, but we know it's going to be around. It's going to affect some people more than others, and we need to, to uh, understand how if we're not in that high risk group, how we manage it ourselves, we stay home when, when we're sick, we you know wash our hands, we wear masks in certain situations. So uh, knowing how we can live with this virus is another one of those serious respiratory illnesses in a broader sense, When we get out of this pandemic, um, there's a whole lot of uh, mental, physical, emotional pieces that have happened to us. We need to recognize that we have suffered and people have sacrificed through this in a whole bunch of ways. So we need to build back the economic side of things too. And we need to pay attention to what is it that we do that helps people bounce back, that resiliency. If we help each other through this, and we don't get angry at each other all the time, and we don't come from a place of, of penalties, and uh, we, we will bounce back better. And that's the type of thing that we need to pay attention to now and we need to start working on.
0: The sense of community is interesting because I think, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, this was something we talked about a lot. It's interesting now, though, because with these kind of loosening of restrictions, it's almost like people who are vulnerable are are being told to, you know, take more precautions because they they are more vulnerable. um, And other people are starting to, I guess, kind of go back to a a bit of a more normal reality. Isn't this kind of creating a division between people, though, that we're telling the vulnerable to to take care of themselves and and essentially kind of leaving them to do that?
1: Yeah, so I think here anyway, um, what we're trying to say is, We all have people in our our families, our social connections, our work connections, who may be in that group, and we may not know that. So we all need to collectively continue to do those things. We do those things individually, and we may do more or less of it individually, depending on our own vulnerabilities. But we also need to understand that some of the things that we have done collectively continue to be important. Um, and that we have to pay attention to that. So that's why we have these transition plans. That's why we still say it's important to wear masks still right now. It's important to uh, to be vaccinated still right now, because it's going to make a difference to the people in your family and your community and the people you don't know next year.
0: And do you think the when you say the end of the pandemic, is this 2022? Is this something we can expect this year? Do you have a, a sense of that?
1: Uh, I, I think globally, probably not until 2023 at least, um, just given what we're seeing in terms of uh, immunity and vaccination and access, access in different parts of the world, um, maybe by the end of this year. Uh, you know, we're doing better at that now. And now that more vaccines are coming on, on online, I think we're in a little bit of a really tough place right now in the next few months, because there is still this evolutionary pressure on this virus. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure right now for a mutation to ri- arise that, um, that that is more transmissible, hard to believe, um, but also potentially uh, able to evade the immune system and cause more severe illness. And because the more severe your illness is, the more likely you are to, to shed more virus in, for a longer period of time and pass it on to others. Mm. So there's, there's that little bit of a, yeah. the windows closing as we have more and more immunity that prevents severe illness and prevents people from shedding a whole lot of virus. But I, I think we're still in a really... Tricky place, um, at least when I listen to the the viral, the evolutionary biologists who talk about this.
0: On a totally separate note, Dr.
1: Henry, uh, we're just seeing reports that Novavax has been approved
0: for use in Ah, Canada. good.
1: I knew it was coming soon. Yeah. That's very good news. <laughs> I mean, I think this just gives. I think the, you know the mRNA vaccines are, are amazing, and they. I have full confidence in them. They've been the. Technology has been in development for a long time and they work really well. And I think they're going to revolutionize vaccines for influenza, for hopefully for HIV, which is something that's been elusive for a long time. But, uh, you know, having alternatives for people, particularly for people who have real concerns or who've had a reaction to mRNA vaccines is also really important. And that's one of the things that we are going to get out of this pandemic because we have that definitive tool of vaccination that is effective and works and protects people. And this is another another one that can make a big difference for people.
0: Dr. Henry, it's been really great to hear from you. Thank you for taking the time today.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: That's it for today. I'm Mainika raman Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show, Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to the Globe's Western Bureau for their help with this interview. If you liked it, and if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.